Well, I have to admit, I did not pay a regular allowance. We were typical parents. We would forget sometimes. We would not have money on us. So I think if I could have automated that or systematized it better so that my kids did have more of a regular um, opportunity to manage money, because that's really why I think allowance is great. It does give you couldn't tell them that you're simulating unemployment or something by just having (laughs) the income stop. This is Mostly Money, and I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. And on the show today, I'm joined by Robin Tobe, author of the new book, The Wisest Investment, teaching your kids to be responsible, independent, and money smart for life. Robin is a chartered professional accountant by training, having previously worked at KPMG and Citibank, among other places. And now she is a financial writer, speaker, and consultant. Robin, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Preet. So excited to be back. I'm uh, always pleased to have you on the show, especially now that you are my favorite guest of all time, because you, for, for longtime listeners who had listened to the last episode, you'll know that Robin dropped off a very, very, very nice scotch, a Port Ellen. It's a silent still. They don't make it anymore. And I have the, the, like the last dram just sitting there in my cabinet. I'm waiting for a super special occasion to crack it open. And uh, yeah, so because of that, you are favorite guest wow. of all time. <laughs> I love that. Okay, shout out to my husband, Jonathan, for providing that little Yeah, dram. thank you so much, Jonathan. Much, <laughs> much appreciated. Um, okay, so you're back on the podcast. And uh, the reason is to talk about this new mm-hmm. book of yours, The Wisest Investment. So mm-hmm. let's, let's start with the 30,000-foot perspective on this book. Who is the target audience and what will they learn from this book? It's parents, and I know that sounds really broad, but it's for all parents who want this for their children, who want their kids to be responsible, independent, and good with money so that they can make appropriate decisions for the rest of their lives long after we're gone as parents. Right. Okay, so uh, let's first take a step back, and I want to get your thoughts on what are the biggest concerns that you hear about from parents when it comes to teaching children about money or talking to children about money? What has Mm -hmm. historically been those top concerns that you've heard? Parents do not want their kids to be spoiled or entitled. I think it's uh, something that keeps them up at night, especially with uh, wealthier families is that they they want their children to have a sense of purpose, not a sense of entitlement. And I think what goes with that is having this basic skill of financial literacy. I think parents are worried, especially if they're not doing a good job themselves, that their kids won't be financially literate. So they won't have the knowledge, the skills, the confidence to make appropriate decisions at different stages of their lives. So parents know this is an important thing to have. It's a basic life skill. And I think they worry that either they're not teaching their kids or maybe they're not learning it in school. And if they've struggled personally, or they know others who have struggled with money, they know what a negative effect it can have on your life. And they really want better for their kids. So I think those are the two main things that parents are concerned about. You know, that's interesting. You touched on something which you address, I think, in the introduction to the book is, you know, a concern that some parents might have that 
they may not be qualified to teach their money about kids, or maybe they don't feel that they have the skill set or knowledge to teach their kids about money appropriately. And so you you tackle that head on. And so the book does also give kind of a general framework that that parents can apply themselves, especially if they feel that maybe there's a part of their finances that they've been neglecting for mm-hmm. various reasons. Maybe they just have, haven't had time to mm-hmm. address it because life is just so busy. And then mm-hmm. you throw kids into the mix and you don't have a spare second. And I think, so there's two things I want to ask in this question. Uh, one is, what do you tell parents who are worried about you know their ability to teach their kids about money and why they should get this book? And then second, where do they find the time to, to yeah. and what was your strategy behind this book and how you set it up to sort of take Help into them. account that they don't have a lot of time? Right. So first of all, for parents who are feeling that way, you're not alone. Um, there was a study that found that something like 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids about money, but two thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful at it. And more than half didn't even know what information they needed. So we know that this is an overwhelming topic um, and parents, you know, that do find it hard to to teach their kids. And, and it is because either a lack of knowledge, a lack of confidence, a lack of time. So I did try to set this book up in an accessible way to make it approachable for parents. And, um, you know, the first chapter really is for them to try and get their own financial houses in order so that as parents, they can lead by example, because I feel like as parents, we are really important role models for our kids in so many areas, including money. So I want to sort of, you know, get rid of this barrier that you have to be a a CPA like myself or a financial expert like you to do a good job with this. You don't. This is something you can learn along with your kids. So don't wait, you know, don't feel like you have to be perfect. Um, You know, even mistakes that you've made can be opportunities to share those with your kids and what you learn from them. So, you know, when it comes to running a busy household and, and, you know, you're working and you feel like I just don't have the time to teach my kids, how am I going to fit this into our busy lives? I say to, to parents to look for teachable moments. So these are opportunities to build a money lesson into your day to day lives. And they're like low hanging fruit because they just come up all the time. As you know, we're constantly interacting with money. We're always transacting. And it's just an opportunity to talk to your kids about what you're doing or how something works and answer their questions rather than setting aside a specific time every week. You know, these things will just crop up and and it's more meaningful when it's happening at a point where a decision is being made or something that's relevant in in all of your lives to to teach that lesson. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that's great um, advice. And and I think it's reassuring for anyone who's potentially, you know, buying this book, either for themselves or for friends that they um, think would benefit from it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, holiday season coming up. Great (laughs) stocking stuffer idea. Um, Thank you. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is these teachable moments. And I know having talked to people in the field of financial literacy, um, uh, financial technology, and specifically referring to a conversation I had with um, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Avni Shah, who's a specialist Mm -hmm. in the the pain of payment. One of the things that we had talked about was, you know, the salience of the method of payment and Mm -hmm. how, as we move to a cashless society, cash actually becomes more abstract, right? So it used to be people were used to dealing with cash. And as we move to a digital world, digital money becomes more abstract. But now it's almost the other way around for kids. 
who may not actually see a lot of physical <laughs> cash anymore, especially during the pandemic when right. a lot of businesses said we're not even accepting cash. Everything is done online. And so my question is, do piggy banks still have the same effect um, or use cases that they used to? Or is there some kind of, you know, digital form of piggy bank strategy that, that you recommend today? Okay, so the answer to that, and it's a great question, it's one of the reasons I updated the book, because we are basically living in a cashless society now, and it was accelerated by the pandemic. So I'd say with young kids, and let's say five to eight, a piggy bank is still a great way to start. Hopefully, parents, you still have some cash lying around, or you can get some, because it's tangible. Like you said, it's concrete. It's not conceptual. So it's easy for, easy for them to um, understand that you can you know, teach them how to make change. You can play counting games. You can show them the cool images on Canadian money. So, and what I also recommend is using a multi-slotted piggy bank, which has a slot not just for saving, but also for uh, spending, sharing, uh, donating. So it's, it's got four slots, one for save, one for spend, one for donate, and one for invest. Oh, so you're so, for, this is an audio only podcast, but you're yes, holding I up know. a piggy bank. I'm showing you, but yeah. it's too bad your viewers can't see it yet. Yeah, but it is a, it is a pig with yeah. uh, four different slots. And it's clearly labeled save, spend, donate, invest. So yeah. where do people get, are those yours? Like where do no, people get those I piggy wish. banks? No, I wish. That's like one of the top questions I get is where can I get that piggy bank? And the answer is um, it's a company called Money Savvy Generation. And if you go to my website, which is robintobe.com, I have a, a resources section and it's on there as a listed resource because I just think it's like a perfect thing for a young kid to start off with. But going back to your question, remember how we always talked about the, the jars system for adults at one point, mm -hmm. like put cash in jars. And when, you know, when you're out of the money, you know that you've hit your budget for that category. And that was how people, well, that's just not realistic anymore at all, mm -hmm. to your point. So we do have this challenge now that we're living in a digital world and our kids are on their phones all the time. They're using, um, you know, their phone for, for paying for things, for social media, for all kinds of stuff. So why not harness that technology and have it help us? So that's how I've approached it. And I think, you know, once a kid is a preteen, maybe 10, 12, I think they are, you know, once they have a phone, they are able to understand these conceptual versions of money a little bit better, like tapping with a debit or credit card or with your phone. And as you know, all the banks in Canada have these, all the mobile banking apps have uh, features built into them that will, that can really help you track your spending and, control your finances. So whether it's setting up um, alerts and notifications to let you know that you've spent money, again, like you said, the pain of handing over cash to someone is now gone. So how do you make that? How do you replicate that? How do you make mm -hmm. that kind of spending feel real again? So you can set up notifications. If you wear a smartwatch, you can get buzzed on your watch to just remind you that you've spent money. Uh, you can use the use the app to help you track your spending. And then you can use the information you get from tracking to help you set budgets. You can check your balance. It's just, it's right there on your phone. So I feel like even though it's harder in some ways, we also have so many more tools just in our pockets. That's a great point. And I think, you know, a great business idea, which no one would invest in is instead of having <laughs> like a, you know, like a vibrating alert is to one that one that actually shocks you, like some kind of painful shock 
Pavlovian, <laughs> very Pavlovian. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would fly, but I don't uh, think so. you know, to to introduce the actual pain of payment. <laughs> Instead of just that little vibration you get like on an Apple Watch. Oh, can you imagine? You and get, then, like, a, you know, jolt of in, maybe in the metaverse one day, you know, yeah. every time you make a savings contribution, it triggers some kind of dopaminergic response yes. in your reward system in your brain. And <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. But per, also, maybe a bit too big brother-ish, but. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I don't think the banks are going to be too happy about, you know, shocking their customers. And sometimes it it is like even not literally shocking, but. I'm having some sticker shock moments right now when I see the price of certain things. You, you know, we could get into that whole inflation or skimflation or shrinkflation discussion. But anyway, um, there are also lots of apps, too, that parents can use to uh, help teach their kids about money, to help give, you know, to pay their allowance and those kinds of things that are tied back to some learning as well. And all those, you have that in your resources section on your website as well? Yes, yes, Perfect. I do. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So if anyone's listening, you want to uh, learn about those resources and apps, uh, check out Robin's website. Okay, so let's let's take another step back and sort mm-hmm. of give a, a general overview of how the book is divided. So there's five yes. chapters and it is a short read. It's not an intimidating read by any Thanks. means. And it is chock full of strategies and extra like you get right to it. So can you break down the flow of the book? Sure. So the first chapter, as I mentioned earlier, is really for parents to help you get your own financial house in order so you can lead by example and be a good financial role model. And I talk about, you know, really the why behind this. Why is teaching kids about money the wisest investment? And and I also, you know, touch on financial literacy in school because that has also really improved a lot over the last 10 years. And I also get into these 11 healthy habits of financial management that will help parents, you know, get their house in order and that they can also model as good financial behavior and habits for their kids. So things like paying yourself first and having a financial safety net, which would mean an emergency fund and appropriate insurance. And then also what I added in this edition is having updated wills and powers of attorney. Because I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's like you've got to be prepared. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's chapter one. And then I have just four other chapters in the book. There's only five in total. As you say, it's under 200 pages. And each chapter is for a specific age group. And I have four age groups in the book. Young kids, preteens, so 9 to 12, teenagers, 13 to 18 or so, and then young young or emerging adults, 19 and up. And then within each of the four chapters, I structure uh, the chapter under these five pillars of money, which are very similar to the piggy bank. So earn, first you have to earn money before you have any choices with money. And then you can decide if you want to save, spend, share, or invest for the long term. So each chapter gets into specific topics, examples, family discussions, activities, very, very um, tactical stuff for each of those five pillars for that age group. So it's you're always um, sharing age-appropriate information with your kids because that's really important, that it's information that they can absorb that's relevant to their lives. So I really try to, and I try to build on it. You know, that's the idea is you start when they're young and you build and you build. And by the time they're emerging adults, they have a really good foundation. 
Now, I think one of the challenges is the different sources of information, the different mediums where children can get access to information about money, mm-hmm. uh, good advice or bad advice. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for for parents whose kids might be watching, I don't know, crypto bros on YouTube or TikTok, it's <laughs> TikTok whatever. influencers, right. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are peddling some pretty strange messages. There's some good information, but I think part of the uh, perspective, possibly, for some of them is that the olds, the old people, they just don't get it, right? You know, money has changed and, you know, you should be investing in Bitcoin or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know some young kids who are getting exposed to this and not some of the other sort of more basic stuff. Yeah. So what what is your advice um, to parents to, 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 you know, deal with this, the, these conflicting sources of information that they may be exposed to. And that's mm-hmm. not just limited to money. That's, you know, that yeah. it goes for any topic. For sure. But let's say, you know, when it comes to money, if your kids are on TikTok or, or on YouTube and they are learning about money, I mean, I think just the fact that they're interested is good and you want mm-hmm. to encourage that, right? Yeah. But you have to take the information that you're learning with a grain of salt sometimes based on who it's coming from. So I think as parents, that's always our job is we want to make sure that our kids are learning from, you know, valued, trusted sources. And, um, you know, I mean, I think about my own kids and I know that they do, especially my son. I know he learns a lot on YouTube about money. He's older though, but I think with younger kids, you want to have a conversation with them. And maybe that is, you know, the opening to talking about money because that's sometimes an awkward or uncomfortable thing for parents to do. But if their kids are um, following these influencers and they have these ideas, it is an opening to have this discussion and maybe present the other side of the, the um, maybe the less glamorous, less um, cool or less exciting way about making money, which is kind of like that slow and steady wins the race you know, patients and traditional asset classes, but it's just a counter uh, to some of the things that they may, they may be seeing just like meme stocks and crypto and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, the book is a little more, I do talk about um, cryptocurrencies and and robo advisors, but it also really gets into the very fundamental things like stocks and bonds when it comes to investing and, you know, overall money management yeah, and, and not at an intimidating level, I would say. So, you know, I yeah. skimmed through the book and, you know, the, the the topics on investing, for some people, they say, okay, that's that's where I check out. And, and I'll, I'll say that it is really presented and couched in a way to say, well, you know, here's how you can learn about it. Here's not, you know, 10 hours of your of your life that we're going to now dedicate looking at PE multiples, right? right. It's, it's not <laughs> technical that way. No, it's really meant to be more of a, a high level introduction to like, what is a stock? What is a bond? How do we, you know, construct a portfolio in a really, um, you know, 30,000 foot level. Right. So and you're not, if, you're not telling parents, listen, you know, when it comes to your six year old and you want to teach them about <laughs> leveraged buyouts, here's how you do it. It's not like Yeah. That. Or SPACs. No, it's not about <laughs> that. Um, you know, and even like a six year old or like uh, I talk about, you know, a lemonade stand mm-hmm. and I actually, my neighbors down the street were doing like, I guess the, uh, 2021 version of a lemonade stand, which is they were making these like beautiful beaded bracelets 
and they were selling them and they were donating half of their profits to sick kids hospital in Toronto. So actually amazing. Their picture on Instagram because they were like so cool. These girls, they're about 12. So, you know, investing, you know, that's a form of investing. It's investing in in a business and stuff. So, yeah, age appropriate, age appropriate. I always want to make sure that the, you know, parents share age appropriate information with their kids. And, And that's something even with my own kids now, like we actually do talk a lot about cryptocurrency. And we talk about memes, meme stocks because my kids are in their mid to late 20s. And my daughter is even like doing her CFA. So, they're speaking a different kind of language. Right, yeah. Well, you know, uh, you mentioned um, those um, young girls who started that um, business with the beads. Yeah, Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask you about, you know, the ease of starting a business online. Like the barrier to entry now is super low. You don't even need capital to start up a website and start selling things. It's so true. I think think I've seen teenagers who are like, like drop shipping um, I know. goods from China through, uh, yeah. That's, I know. It's, I, it's unbelievable how sophisticated our kids are. So these these girls have an Etsy shop. Yeah. Like, they're really sophisticated, and, yeah. and it's very impressive. Um, yeah, and I also, I think it was two weeks ago, I was on this CPA Ontario, did a financial literacy workshop for high school students. And, the you know, the kind of questions that they're asking are very sophisticated. And you're right, you can start a business, an e-commerce kind of business or an Amazon affiliate kind of business really easily nowadays. So I think understanding some really basic stuff about business, like, you know, buying low and selling high and those kinds of concepts, I, I really do try to teach teach that stuff in the book. I mean, and then like, you know, you've just developed a great investing course. If people want more, uh, there's so many great yeah. self-paced, uh, video-based courses that you can do online, depending on, you know, you want to do it yourself with with uh, ETFs, you want to get into trading, do you want to get into option strategies? Like, there are lots of great information out there, especially yours. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, thank you. Um, When it comes to failure, what Mm -hmm. is your perspective on how much financial failure children should be allowed to experience. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, where I'm going with this is I have kind of thought that it would be really great, again, with the lower barriers to entry of starting an online business, mm-hmm. to encourage kids to start online businesses. And if it takes off, great. Mm-hmm. And if it fails, that might be even better because I feel like yeah. the greatest teacher Lessons. is failure. Yeah. Fail fast, you know, isn't that like a Silicon Valley thing? Yeah, (laughs) fail fail fast and pivot. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, as a parent, it is hard to watch your kids fail. It's hard to watch them struggle. And I think our natural instincts as parents to protect them kick in and we want to bail them out. But when it comes to money, that is not 
the best thing because that you want them to make mistakes when the stakes are low, mm-hmm. when there's not a lot of money involved, when the mistakes are not going to be expensive because they will learn if they waste money on a toy that they never end up using or they pay full price for a video game that they could have waited a month and bought used. They'll they'll learn something from that and take it away for the next uh, decision that they make. Whereas if we're always stepping in and giving them more money and bailing them out, then they'll just think, uh, I don't have to worry about this. There's always going to be more money where that came from. Uh, you right. know, I don't need to be careful. Money's not a, a finite resource. And we all know that that's not true. So Right. PQE, parental quantitative easing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. Like taper off, stop failing them out. Um, you know, everyone learns from their mistakes. Me, me included. I'm sure you're the same. So, oh, I've it made is some really whoppers. Important. I have made some yeah. whoppers, and those are those the those are the situations where I learned absolutely the most. So, I, I agree with you 100. percent I think it is critical to allow a certain level of failure, and I think. It uh, it pays off in the end, um, but um, it, yeah, it's part of them becoming independent. It's not an easy transition, but and it, you know, it's not just with money. You sort of have to at some point figure you've done your job, and mm-hmm. that's why I like talking a lot about values, Preet. And that was sort of one of the other strategies in the book is being really clear and understanding what your values are, what's most important to you, because they can act as an invisible framework to hide, to help um, guide and prioritize financial decisions and other decisions in life. Because at some point, you're going to have to sort of step back and let your kids make their own decisions throughout their lives, including money. And it's just not great to be a helicopter parent on many, you know, many levels. I'll have to take your word for it because I <laughs> uh, I don't have kids, so um, I rely on experts like you uh, to inform us about how to teach kids about money. Um, now, I had one last question for you. Where's my list here? Ah, yes. You mentioned in your book, mm-hmm. you mentioned in your book that your best investments were your two kids. Yeah. I want to ask you, if you could do anything differently when teaching your kids about money? If you could turn back the clock, are there any things that you would have done differently? Huh? Well, I have to admit, I did not pay a regular allowance. We were typical parents. We would forget sometimes we would not have money on us. So I think if I could have automated that or systematized it better so that my kids did have more of a regular, um, opportunity to manage money because that's really why i think allowance is great it does give you couldn't tell them that you're simulating unemployment or something by just having <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. the income stop yeah so um you know that would be one thing uh, but you know generally i feel like it's gone pretty well i mean i guess another thing so my kids when they they each had a bar but mitzvah were jewish and they got money that's traditional that you get some money and i basically just invested it on their behalf in a couch potato portfolio of index funds and you know it was an in-trust account at a discount brokerage i wish i had gotten them a little more involved in that at the Mm -hmm. time they would have been 13 so a little young but it wasn't really until they were they were 18 and they could open a tfsa and we could transfer it over that i really started getting them involved in what I had invested in. And I mean, it it wasn't like I had made a big mistake or anything, but I think I should have discussed it more with them 
and seeing what they what they wanted to invest in as opposed to me just trying to do something simple and low cost that would grow and then knowing they would take it over one day. So Right. Yeah. All right. Um I'm going to leave it there cuz I don't want to give away the entirety of the book. I want people okay. to buy the book. Thanks. Um, so, they, so they have a, a reason to do so and also to suggest it as a, a great uh, stocking stuffer for people around you who uh, may benefit from the book. Now, Robin, as you know, the last mm-hmm. uh, you know minute, two minutes of the every episode is uh, open floor for you to give a, a brazen commercial. So okay. feel free. I'm ready. I'm ready. So um, if you're looking for the book, uh, please go to thewisestinvestment.com. That's the website. It's just the book's name, thewisestinvestment.com. And you'll see links there to Amazon for the physical book and the Kindle uh, version. And there's also a free financial role model self-assessment if you sign up. So we are talking about the importance of being a good role model and walking the talk for your kids. So you can get that for free there. Um, If you're interested in doing the values validator, then check out my other website, which is robintobe.com. That's the one with the resources. Um, So that's uh, a free values validator. And then actually, I want to mention that we are doing a promotion on books right now. So if people order directly from us, books at robintobe.com until December 17th, uh, free shipping, signed copy and we are going to donate we're going to match so for every book that's ordered through us we're going to make a donation to a charity that supports youth financial literacy oh one one for one book yeah so so do you want to mention mention how people can take advantage of that offer yeah just email books at robintobe.com the number of copies and the address and we will invoice you Okay, and I'll include that on the show notes as well if people are uh, listening. That would be great. Just quickly look on your phone, tap the link uh, to do that. Uh, Robin, thank you. That's been fantastic. And my very last question before I let you go is, what is the last dram that uh, either you or your husband have uh, enjoyed? He has been into these Japanese whiskeys lately. So I think it's Hibiki. And I again, I don't always know exactly, is this like a good one? Am I allowed to have some of this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have different tastes. I sort of like the more milder sherry cask, uh, type whiskeys. He likes the smoky peaty ones Mm. and my son does too. So I think it was probably one of his good hibiki ones. And I also, we also kind of got into bourbon. Oh yeah. So mm -hmm. do you like it or? I have a few bottles. It's uh, it is a nice change for sure. Right, exactly. Have you do you know Pappy Van Winkle? Have you heard of Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I do. I have had that only okay, a few so, times in the US um and only at uh, at bars, but um he, yeah, I would he, love to add a bottle to my collection. He had a client in Louisville and he brought some back. So okay, in order to maintain my status as your favorite podcast <laughs> guest, I'll have to get you some Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah, that's right, you will. I know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's not, you don't have to, but. (laughs) I love it. All right. All right. Uh, Robin, thank you so much for uh, being a guest. Thanks for having me. It's always so much fun and I appreciate it. Thanks, Preet.